Subfreaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this week's Rabbit Hole Recap. Logan, what did you think? I think it was pretty good. Pretty good? That's it? Uh, You know what? Be quiet over there. Okay. Pretty good. I think it was pretty damn good if you ask me, Logan. Very dense. Fun rip. Back in the saddle here in the Bitcoin Commons, right down the hall from Unchained Capital, which this rip was brought to you by. They're here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model with their Vault product. Their Vault product is a two or three multi-sig, which you hold two keys, Unchained holds one. As long as you have your two keys, you always have control of your Bitcoin. It's a beautiful thing. They have a Wake Love concierge service that's going to get you set up. Talk to their concierge team. They'll get you comfortable with multi-sig. They're going to send you hardware wallets. They're going to teach you how to set those hardware wallets up and back them up and geographically distribute them to eliminate single point of failure risk, which is why this product exists in the first place. And then they're going to set up your vault. It is very important. If you're an individual, high net worth individual business handling Bitcoin, you want to do it in the most secure way possible. The Unchained Vault is the way to go. Multisig is the way to go. Eliminate single points of failure. FTX, single point of failure. Celsius, single point of failure. BlockFi, single point of failure. Even a single SIG hardware wallet, single point of failure. If you lose that wallet and you're back up, you're shit out of luck. Distribute that risk. Make it harder to lose your Bitcoin. Go to unchained.com slash concierge. Use the code RHR. Tell them that we sent you. Get $50 off their concierge onboarding. Unchained.com slash concierge. This trip was also brought to you by good friends at CoinKite. CoinKite builds the best Bitcoin hardware in the world. Your MK4 hardware wallet, NFC enabled, two secure elements. You create your private public key pairs offline. The device never touches the internet if you do it properly. That's something else out there. Oh, you can create entropy for your private key. Rolling dice, they make it very easy. So you can have more certainty that you have a very good private key. They also build this thing, the block clock. Really cool, fun thing to have around if you're interested in Bitcoin. Want to keep up with the stats on the network. Just have it flash at you every 5, 10, 20 minutes, whatever you, whatever you choose. They have the tap signer and the sats card, which are credit card-like form factors that are NFC enabled. The tap signer is a private key. They can use with wallets like Nunchuck. It's a great, uh, it's a great solution for multi-sig. If you have a hardware wallet like an MK4, maybe another MK4 and a tap signer, two or three. Uh, you use the tap signer on the back of your mobile device. You can sign one of the keys, then you go sign your cold card key. It's a beautiful thing. Sats card, great way to give Bitcoin. You're going to a wedding and you want to gift the bride and groom some Bitcoin. You tap the Sats card on the back of your phone, click the link, takes you to a browser address with a Bitcoin address that's associated with the tap card. You load that up, you hand it over, they have Bitcoin. The private key lives on the Sats card. Go check all this out at coinkite.com. Use the code RHR. I don't know if the code works. If Rodolfo just makes all these codes, it might work. Probably will work. I don't know what's going to get you in terms of a discount, but just try it. Coinkite.com. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at IVPN. Do you want to resist online surveillance? Do you want to surf the web with a bit more privacy, IVPM is a solution. 
What you do online can be tracked by organizations you may not know or trust and become part of a permanent record. A VPN can't solve this on its own, but it can prevent your ISP from being able to share or sell your data. Go to IVPN.net, set up, and well, you don't really set up an account. The way it works is beautiful. They don't take any emails. It's very private. They don't log anything. They don't keep any customer data. They build using open source apps and websites. They don't rely on any third party cloud server providers. They own the bare metal. They own the servers themselves. So they're not depending on Amazon or Google to run these VPNs in the cloud for them. They own the infrastructure. They do annual independent security audits. They don't have any fake reviews and they're privacy advocates and they're Bitcoiners. You can pay for this VPN service using Bitcoin. They built their own BTC pay server instance. And so if you want to buy this VPN service using Bitcoin in a private way, they've made it easy for you to do. Go to IVPN.net and download or use the VPN. You should use a VPN, freaks. Enjoy this rip. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Second time's a charm. We're live. We got Safari Matt with us today, this week. <laughs> I, I figured it was fitting given the news items we had. Yeah. Your stash looks good. It's a strong stash, sir. It's the cleanest stash I've ever had. It's the cleanest I've seen your face in well over a year. I, know, I forgot it existed. The cleanest your face ever was on RHR was the, uh, the live rip in San Francisco. Baby uh, face man. From Bitcoin twenty nineteen on the roof on the picnic table. Yes, yes. It was a great great. It was also one of my most it was also one of my most trash drips. Yeah, shout out to Austin Storms for uh I think it was a bottle of rabbit hole. Either that or Angel's Envy. I haven't heard from that dude in a while. He's head down at Galaxy. Love working it. away. I appreciate that freak. He's a one of the original rider dies. Yes. OG in the mining He smuggled days. He smuggled that bottle into the conference. It wasn't yes. allowed to be in the conference. Security was not. Not as top-notch as it is these days. <laughs> it was a full It was a full scotch bottle in a commemorative case. Like, it wasn't even like a small <laughs> bottle. It was just a massive box. Can you bring your own drinks in? What? To Bic the Bitcoin conference now? No. No. It's always it's the unions. It's always the unions. What are the unions saying? Like the uh, for all. I mean, I wasn't involved in Bitcoin 2019, but in Miami, like all the food and beverage is all unionized through the um, conference center. They box out everybody. Yeah, it's like weddings. You know, you see it at a lot of wedding venues too, right? Where you're forced into whatever food and beverage they offer. Yeah. There's some people. That's one of the advantage. That's one of the advantages of the park, since we control the venue. That's not the case. No. Yeah, I have some family members who are wine snobs that'll smuggle smuggle in 
bottles of wine that they prefer to weddings. There you go. Well, I mean, it's frowned upon. If like you, you should be going to weddings with a flask of good whiskey. You should always have a flask of good whiskey. Don't rely on the bar. You want to be the guy with the flask of good good whiskey with you. I've done the flask at a wedding once. It was a good move. I went to a Scottish wedding. Um, and I, me and my lady were one of the few non-Scots there. And all the Scottish men would wear their kilts. And then they have, I forget what it's called. And I'm sure the Scottish freaks will get mad at me. But they have like this really cool fanny pack that's made of a dead animal. Um, and they keep a, they keep a flask of like their favorite scotch in there. And because I was like the only non-Scot... I like just every single guy who walked up to me just gave me a swig of his favorite scotch. And then from that point on, I was like, I need to make sure I do them proud and have a flask of scotch at every wedding. It's called a sporin. Thank you. They're pretty awesome, actually, because they pick different dead animals. Everyone has a different uh, dead animal that they're wearing. There's many different types of sporins. I'm on the Wikipedia now. You have day sporins, it's, it's, dress sporins. It's a rabbit hole, right? Full dress sporins, semi-dress sporins, full mask sporins, horsehair sporins. Massive rabbit hole. I might have to get myself a sporin. I'm telling you. I have a feeling. It's a Gaelic word, so I have a feeling I'm pronouncing it terribly wrong. So. <laughs> Look at John Delaney in the comments. <laughs> Matt Trank from Every Man's Hairy Pouch. <laughs> Be clear, they pulled the flask out of the pouch and then handed me the flask. Uh, nothing better than a oh, I'm not going to go there <laughs> uh, before we jump into wait we also have Dwayne Kinsey in the comments saying read the mandibles Marty Matt is right yeah I talked to Dwayne yesterday he's, he's like three quarters of the way through mandibles and there you go he's very he's very freaked out we were talking to I was talking <laughs> I was talking to uh, our buddy at IVPN the COO Victor um, and he said he, he couldn't help himself, and he's he's midway through the mandibles too because of rabbit hole recap. I'm sure I'll get to it one day. Well, I mean, if you wait long enough, you'll just live through it instead of reading it. Are we living through it? Your petrodollar, I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but your petrodollar bent was like, that's like chapter six. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about it. Big moves. A lot of people are distracted here in the U.S. with the debt ceiling, the- <laughs> World Economic Forum. I mean, this did come out of the World Economic Forum, the the, the news, but... I got uh, halfway through your bent, Marty. I screamed mandibles out loud and then closed my computer. <laughs> that was a long one, too. It was over a thousand words. Oh, wait, no, that was the other one I wrote the day before on the economy. But... Before we jump into things here, I uh, just want to give a round of applause to you and Rod at Bitcoin Park. The Mining and Energy Summit last last week at the Bitcoin Park in Nashville was incredibly high signal, incredibly well organized, and incredibly good time. So shout out to you guys. Well, thank you for coming and participating. And uh, thank you for supporting us through Standard Bitcoin as well, uh, which was one of our 10 company supporters that made the event possible. Yeah, it was uh, it was great biz dev for us, so it was well worth the the money spent to support the event. A lot going on. Well, in the thank world. you. What did you think? Did you learn yeah. anything, dude? First of all, the mining summit was fucking fire. 
uh, we had such a great group of people, right? It always comes down to the people. And I think, uh, I think bear markets are nice because it automatically cuts out the fair weather friends. It's only high signal ride or die people. Um, the challenge and the goal of our summits at Bitcoin park is because it's a small group and invite only, we hope to maintain that signal through the bull market, but I'm not going to give us entire credit for it because bear markets do help kind of just naturally self-select. Um, but the group of people was amazing. Just talking to everyone off the record, having conversations, there's miners from so many different walks of life and different perspectives that is just crazy. Um, to those who couldn't make it, I'm rolling out most of the panels. We, we give our panelists at the park two, uh, two times where they can choose that their content doesn't get published before the panel starts and after it's done. So a few panels will not be published, but the majority of panels without Q&A, all the panels have Q&A if you're in person. The Q&A is stripped and the panel is posted audio only to our podcast feed. So if you search Bitcoin Park in your favorite podcast app, um, you will start to see more and more panels uh, get posted there. We have uh, one panel up so far, plus the introduction. Um, so go check that out if you're interested. Uh, we also just recently announced the Lightning Summit that we're going to be hosting July 13th and 14th. And that's the same idea. It's going to be a full week of uh, events. We're going to do BitDevs, which is open to the public and free, then Open House, uh, which is open to the public and free, and then the Lightning Summit, which is uh, invite only um, and a paid ticket that includes two breakfasts, two lunch and dinner and our Pelican case swag bag that Marty got as well. Um, Pelican case so strong swag. It's nice, right? Yeah. Um, so you can go to bitcoinpark.co to see all the links for that. Okay. So that's all the shills. Um, the number one thing that I took away from the mining summit and I've been racking my head about it and I'll probably release a post I'll probably release a blog post about it because I want to kind of like flesh it out in my head. Um, was the financialization of hash panel. Um, which I led. In my Yeah, which, which you led, Marty. And I sat in the front row and asked a question that I got laughed at for. Um, but I've been wrestling with that question and that perspective. So when I, when I think of Bitcoin mining, I've historically always thought that Bitcoin miners were naturally insanely long Bitcoin by design and short power cost because they want the most efficient power cost um, and they're massively long Bitcoin because they're buying this purpose-built machine that literally can only do SHA-256 hashes, can only be used for Bitcoin mining. The thing's a brick if Bitcoin doesn't exist. Um, and I thought that was a key aspect of the security model of Bitcoin was that they were inherently massively long and as a result had a lot of skin in the game. Now that started to change a little bit with these regulated uh, derivatives markets like the CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, where they could go short, they could go short uh, spot Bitcoin, right? So they could go short on the price of Bitcoin, but they still couldn't go short um, and they're inherently short hash rate, right? Because they, yes. they don't want the adjustment to go up, but they couldn't go long difficulty adjustment. So they were still uh, inherently, they had that skin in the game aspect there. And I wonder, and, and I will preface this by saying it cannot be avoided. There's going to be derivatives products on all this shit. Like someone's going to build them. 
Um, and we had a lot of people at the summit that are planning on building them and are rolling them out and whatnot. But as these derivative products start to get released and become available and miners are able to basically pull levers up and down on on what exposure they want to have and how exposed they are to both Bitcoin long, like the Bitcoin long thesis, but also like there's already existing derivative contracts and stuff for power um, and energy costs. And we're starting to see like these these large miners where like power goes up, like the power cost goes up during the Arctic blast in Texas. They actually get paid more than if the power cost stayed down and they were hashing. Um, I like I'm I don't pretend to be smart enough to understand the implications, but it changes that perspective. That perspective that miners are inherently massively long Bitcoin, right? Yeah, and I think what we really have to dive into is like the exposure that any individual miner would take uh, would get with these or would want to take with these derivative contracts, right? Like, because going back to the main point that they are massively long Bitcoin, but obviously they're running businesses with high execution risk and they want to stay hashing so they can accumulate Bitcoin and take advantage of the price appreciation that they expect. And so these derivatives can be looked at as a hedge to lock in some revenues, but I don't think you would ever see a miner try to lock in like 100% of their revenues via a derivative market because uh, they potentially could miss out on the appreciation of Bitcoin if they sell it at a steep discount. So my so that's favorite one part aspect. of Bitcoin, yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Like the, the value for individual miners makes a ton of sense, right? Like, of course, miners want to have more control over their business and be able to, you know, uh, do proper risk management, right? Um, like the value for the individual miners makes sense. But my most, most favorite part about Bitcoin is like the adversarial uh, thinking, right? Like the, the, the game theoretical modeling that you start to like think about theoretical attacks, right? Mm -hmm. And I hit two things here. First of all, uh, which freaks will probably be very used to me talking about is there is there's a disadvantage here because most of these products will be KYC and regulated like our favorite chicken shack miners and like our home miners and like off grid miners that are doing small operations. They're mostly cut out of the equation. So they're probably not going to have, they're definitely not going to have as easy and convenient and liquid access to these derivative products as the large firms. Right. So there's an, there's an incentive there that benefits the larger warehouse miners. Um, I don't know how strong that incentive is, but there is an incentive there regardless. And those are the kind of incentives that we try and avoid um, when possible because you end up in centralized mining situations, right? Where these large warehouse miners publicly traded, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and have more control of the hash. So you have that one incentive. And then the second thing that I've been thinking about is like, okay, yeah, like if you're actually a profit-seeking ideological Bitcoiner that believes in the thesis of long-term Bitcoin adoption, like, of course, you still want to have upside exposure if you're a miner. But what if you're a malicious miner that wants to attack Bitcoin, um, maybe funded by the U.S. government directly or indirectly? In that situation, you could actually imagine, I think it's, it would, it, in my head, it makes sense that, that you could have a large mining operation that is 40% of the hash rate, 60% of the hash rate, 
that is actually net short Bitcoin and that is net short Bitcoin that can attack Bitcoin and actually make a profit from it if Bitcoin fails because they're on something like the CME where it's paper Bitcoin anyway. So Bitcoin fails, they still get settled out on their short. It's not like BitMEX where everything's backed by Bitcoin and if it goes to zero, I'm, that's an extreme case, case, right? It goes to zero. Um, I'm not trying to FUD Bitcoin. I think the Bitcoin security model is fine. I think this is mostly theoretical, but it's an interesting perspective and thought process to go down as we see more of these derivative products. Because like, you know, Paul Sports, like he releases uh, drive chains, which is never going to happen on Bitcoin. But why is it never going to happen on Bitcoin is because it requires a soft fork and people are concerned it fucks with minor incentives. Derivative products for miners does not require a soft fork, will happen regardless and definitely fucks with minor incentives, at least on a small scale, if not greater than that. And it's just a really interesting, like I've been like laying in bed at night and stuff. And like, sometimes that's my last thought before I go to bed. Like I've been like drafting up a post that I plan on posting to discrete log, but I haven't released yet. That was my biggest takeaway. I keep thinking about that one. Yeah. So with that particular like government so the government amasses a material amount of hash. They sell a bunch of their hash in these derivative markets. They go short Bitcoin. And then in the case that you're describing, I imagine like how they would be malicious is they actually don't deliver the hash or sats produced by the hash to the wallet associated with the contract. So they bork their counterparty which would be illegal and the counterparty would have ramifications, but we're running with the assumption that the government doesn't care about this. I would posit alternatively, if it ever got to that point too, where you had like a, a buyer of these derivatives uh, on the other side of the market and they were trying to do the same thing from the, the derivative side, you could have, I don't want to say altruistic miners, but my Bitcoin miners that are actually like Bitcoiners like refused. To, um, now I'm thinking that through my head, but yeah. it's not delivering the hash, right? You could still deliver the hash and attack Bitcoin. Like how would they attack it? Censorship you do like block withholding. You do like block withholding attacks or um, you mine empty blocks uh, or little mini reorgs. Like the same kind of attacks that you'd expect from like a 51% attacker. Like the reason a 51% attack is untenable, first of all, 51% attack, you need significantly more than 51%, just FYI. It's not like you just hit the magic number and you're good. But the re the, the main thing that so prevents saying... a 51% attack is why would you buy all that hash just to attack Bitcoin and then render your machines useless? But you could actually be profitable in that situation. If you short, if you short the price. So you're saying that the government would engage, would set up a mining operation, sell their hash forward, get cash, acquire more miners, therefore more hash. And then sell that rinse, hash forward. Rinse and repeating. Just keep selling the hash forward, buying more hash. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time, short on CME or another paper Bitcoin derivatives market. Possible. How probable it is is another question. Probably very improbable. Yes. Especially as the mining ecosystem grows and distributes around the world. Yeah. But just it's an interesting thought process. 
Yeah, because with mining, execu- mining execution risk is extremely high. So yeah, the back end, like the time dilation between the time they sell that hash forward, get the cash, acquire the miners, acquire the infrastructure, plug it all in. There's a lot of capital risk involved in that that time dilation. Um, and then on top of that, I think it's important to mention like, do miners actually provide the security or is it the full nodes? What do miners do? They facilitate the production of blocks and give you a bit of peace of mind uh, like when your transaction is actually embedded in the blockchain. You can be comfortable that it's not going to be double spent. Like if it ever got to that point where the government was selling all this hash forward, trying to do this play, would the full node step in and actually provide security to Bitcoiners by trying to figure something out? Yeah, I mean, it's really, I mean, this is, it goes back to 2017 and it was interesting because NVK was in town, right? And we were talking about, he was actually like, uh, Bitcoin needs kind of an attack on the network uh, every six years or so to remind people like what the actual consensus model is and like how things work and keep people uh, vigilant and aware and active. Because um, in 2017, that was a key thing, right? The power of nodes, right? Being able to run your own node and verify the rules yourself. The way I look at it, and this is always a controversial topic in general, because there's a little bit of nuance and people like arguing. Um, but the way I look at it is the miners are choosing which transactions are in blocks, right? They're contributing verifiable proof of work uh, and adding new blocks to the chain, and then the individual, the individual node operators are essentially, they essentially have veto power mm-hmm. and different. And this is where like economically important nodes came up as a term during 2017. Yep. Because like my node is important to me. Your node is important to you. Um, but then you also have nodes like Coinbase's nodes, right? Or Kraken's nodes and like these large institutions nodes that might have more economic weight behind them. All of those nodes have individual veto power that the rules are maintaining this, you know, that the, the rules that, that they agreed to are still being approved on the network. Regardless, if we had an active mining attack scenario, and I guess it's kind of helpful to go back to 2017 where Bitmain indirectly controlled and directly controlled a, a large majority of the hash. And then also was the main manufacturer of ASICs at the time. And they had a backdoor on um, the ASICs. They had a backdoor. It was like worst case scenario. And we got through it mostly because Gian didn't have the balls to actually attack and flip all his hash to Bcash. But in that situation, if if you have a overwhelming majority of hash that's attacking Bitcoin, it's not enough. Like the, the fact that you're using your own node and running your own node and verifying your own transactions is supremely important in that situation and all the time. But it's not that's not enough. You also have to then change the hash going forward. Yes. And then... And then the question is, what algorithm do we switch to? That's um, always I, been described then, as the nuclear option. Yeah, you got to bootstrap it again. And the reason that option is beautiful is because usually just the threat of that option means we never have to use it. It's like, uh, it's, it's like nukes in general, right? It's like mm. the, the, the idea is, is that Russia won't launch because America will launch back and then everyone's fucked. The idea isn't that we're both launching nukes back and forth at each other and whoever wins, wins. Um, so, but if, the, if that large miner has other incentives, 
that doesn't really care if that hash algo gets changed, then all of a sudden that's comp- that part is completely irrelevant in the game theory situation, right? They don't care if the miners get bricked. Um, no. Because they're net short. Yes. Yeah, and like you run the game theory scenario with this too. Again, to wage this attack, it's extremely capital intensive to the government can print money. <laughs> so like the idea, like they could print money by A6 and try to wage this attack. Then you have the question like, obviously printing money for the sake of buying A6 isn't going to cra- cause crazy inflation, but the governments are are printing money more broadly, which is causing inflation. You have like the purchasing, it's like a race between the debasing purchasing power of the fiat currency that they're using to attack the network and Bitcoin's increasing purchasing power at some point that they sort of pass each other and it becomes much harder. And then on top of that, you have like the social layer, uh, which would include the ASIC manufacturers and power providers. Like, are they able to sniff out what's going on? And if so, do they ring alarm bells or say, hey, no, I don't want to sell you any more ASICs or any more power. And that comes into play as well, a sort of social um, aspect of individual companies being like, hey, you're buying way too many ASICs. This isn't good. Like, I want to diversify my client portfolio. Um, but then the government can spit on shell companies and hire agents to to do their bidding. So, yeah, there's a lot of aspects yeah, I mean, you of don't this. E- I mean, you don't even need shell companies if we have large regulated mining firms in America already. Yes. They could um, act as shell companies for the you, government. Yeah, you, like, take one of the large ones and then you build from there, right, rather than like buying all the hash fresh and setting up a new operation. Yes. And then going back to like the social aspect, like are there hardcore Bitcoiners at this company that would go and EMP attack their operations to... I will say, uh, we have always been very critical of Foundry on the show. Um, and I'm not going to say who from Foundry was 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 there, but... Uh, he is definitely one of the more uh, He's a hardcore Bitcoiners, yeah, Bitcoiners that I've ever met, uh, and definitely makes me feel a little better that he is over he is over there working at Foundry. Um, you got to imagine there's and there's at least dozens of individuals like that that are working at these different mining pools and mining operations um, that would hopefully sound the alarm or pull the plug or something. Yeah, we need we need well, as many yeah. fifth column Bitcoiners in these companies as possible who will who will pull the shoot and bork the operations if it ever can. And I want to yeah, I want to be absolutely clear. Like I'm not trying to fud Bitcoin. Uh, I think it's important that Bitcoiners are our best critics uh, because no corners are definitely not sending their best. Uh, so like it's important for us to be critical and think through ad- adversarial scenarios. And I want to be absolutely clear that basically the scenario we just walked through. I would attach like less than a percent probability of that ever happening. It was very, very tiny kind of theoretical thought process. Yeah, and over time, as hash rate becomes more distributed, as you th- see things like gridless over in Kenya, I mean, we're going to talk about Virunga National Park in Congo, uh, the, the operations being spun up in Paraguay and Argentina right now becomes much, much harder. I do think... Volcano mines in El Salvador. Volcano mines in El Salvador. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of hash rate that is concentrating here in Texas, but 
if hash rate is going to concentrate anywhere in the U.S., I'd rather it be Texas than somewhere like New York, um, where Texans seem to have more of a liberty-minded perspective well, on the world. You're you're in you're in luck because New York is not allowing new Bitcoin miners. So <laughs> no, they just sued the choice somebody. isn't even available. We don't even have that on the list, but some mining operation got sued in New York. Some nat gas mining operation. Um, I forget. Exactly I did not see that. Um. Yeah, no, these are, I agree. We, and like, we need to be our best critics, think through all this stuff and just be vigilant when, I mean, these products are already out there. I mean, you have block streams, liquid, hash rate token, BitUda has been around. I'm not sure how much volume they're getting on their hash rate, derivative desk, uh, block greens, another company, uh, Thomas from hash function was speaking at, um, he was on that panel. Yeah, he was you. on that panel with me. He's yeah. and they were also a supporter well. of the summit. Yeah, and so these things are coming to market. Uh, Luxor, they they're non uh, non deliverable cash settled forward, already out there on the market. And yeah, I mean, like that is the con perspective. But then going back to the pro, why do these products come to market? Because miners, individual miners, are looking to hedge out risk so that they can stay alive in the long term and participate in Bitcoin's upward price appreciation. Um, and then on top of that, like if you talk to Thomas about it, he, he seems to think that these products actually help hash rate distribution over time because it gives smaller miners, not the riots and the, the marathons, core size of the world, uh, but like the cathedrals, the grids, the ability to take advantage of these types of contracts and stay afloat, which is like the medium sized miners. Yeah. They don't, because I would just go back to like the smaller miners, like the chicken shack miners and the home miners, they're not going to KYC and play with derivative products. No, but it's also important to talk about that archetype of that particular miner. They're sort of balls to the wall. I'll go down with the ship. They will mine at a loss just to keep the network alive as well. And get KYC free stats. Uh, Marty, what was your biggest takeaway from the summit? Are we allowed to mention Intel stuff? Uh, we can mention that uh, they were there and they were speaking, but his panel is not going up on the podcast. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I won't elaborate, but it was really cool to get some insight <laughs> into that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, that was pretty crazy. Yeah, that was really... That was really, uh, I was really happy to speak with the Intel representative about what they're working on. And it's cool. It's, it's, that's bullish, I think. Am I getting you in trouble right now? No. Uh, we, yeah. have, we have Chatham House rules, which is similar to BitDevs, if you've ever been to BitDevs, which is basically the idea that uh, you can talk about what happened at the event um, but if it wasn't on a panel that's published, you're not supposed to like attribute it to an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the policy we've been running at the park. So people just feel comfortable uh, having the conversations that they won't have online, uh, which is pretty fucking awesome. But I would agree just straight up. Everything we heard from Intel was extremely bullish. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, and it also helped that, you know, Bitcoin was pumping throughout the whole week. <laughs> that was people um, didn't believe it. <laughs> we were, it was Wednesday night and we we're like, Bitcoin's at 18 K. We're like, ah, what the fuck? 
people are in such denial. Tucker Carlson said that the U.S. government raised the price of Bitcoin for buying like billions of dollars of ransom to pay off the FAA hack. It doesn't. That narrative doesn't make sense because the, they have so much Bitcoin. Why exactly, would they buy Bitcoin? Exactly. They have hundreds of thousands. And also, of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's not that illiquid that like one ransom is going to drive up the price twenty percent. No, but he was trying to say like it happened here in the U.S. and Canada, somewhere over Europe at the same time. Just like, He's like Pete Buttigieg is just secretly buying billions of dollars of Bitcoin for ransomware. Yeah, and that happened because, I mean, I flew in. (laughs) My flight was delayed on Wednesday because of this FAA stuff. And then you sent them Bitcoin and you were able to fly in. Yeah, it was only like three hours and the price ran up after that. So that that, that narrative doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was hacked and we weren't told it was hacked. But I don't think there was like a ransomware that was paid out in Bitcoin. No, I mean, I think there was definitely a hack or something like that um i mean there's two scenarios right that, that it was or a, it was that or state. somebody was flying in like uh airspace they weren't supposed to and they were just using that as a scapegoat as cover to, yeah to i mean everything i mean it's only happened one other time where a non-system has failed and they've grounded every plane in america and that 11. was september 11th yeah. yeah um but that they actually said you know we're grounding every plane because of a security threat um, this they didn't say that. So there's two. I guess I would add that as a third scenario. That makes sense. But the other two scenarios are our infrastructure is extremely old and poorly maintained and just complete clusterfuck. It's probably the most likely. And then the second one being a you know a state actor like a Russia or a China or a North Korea or someone was trying to test out our systems and uh, succeeded in in knocking down everything. Yeah, yeah. They talked about it on No Agenda twice last week. Last week's Sunday episode, Adam is pretty up to speed on how that that network particularly operates, and he 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 was explaining that it's like a very low level protocol that it's like hard to fuck up. So he thinks he thinks it was the scenario that I described, which is somebody was flying in airspace they weren't supposed to, and everything just got grounded, and they didn't want to admit it. My favorite take is uh, was. On the day it happened, someone tweeted out, uh, just give Fiat Jaff two days and he'll code up a new protocol that they can use instead. <laughs> I, I, I texted Tanguma because we were on the same flight. He uh, sent me the tweet, the FAA grounded all flights. I was like, is it happening? Is this it? Well, I woke up I woke up that morning <laughs> to a message from Tanguma that was like at like five in the morning, six in the morning text that was, was like all caps, Putin doesn't want your summit to go on. <laughs> Yeah, he was up early that day. He texted me at five thirty. I was up too. So yeah, this is fucked. Um, well, we yeah. got there a little late. That's why RHR was a bit abbreviated last week. I was supposed to get in. It was like it. straight out of the Uber. You came right onto RHR. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were. Sp- I was supposed to get there four hours earlier. But oh, Logan, uh, how was your dentist appointment? Went fine. How's awesome. your filling? You got a filling, right? Yeah. Got two actually. Two. What the hell? What the hell? Are you brushing your teeth? Apparently not enough. <laughs> Got to cut the sugar out, sir. Logan, stop watching porn. It's doing bad things to your teeth. It's definitely doing bad things to your brain. I don't think Logan's Logan doesn't seem like a coomer to me. He's shaking his head now. I told Logan he needs to be more participatory in his God voice. I like when the when it's our a good God voice. It's a very good God, God voice. voice. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's get to the dashboard. We'll jump into the list. It was a good 
30 minute ad lib to start the episode. <laughs> uh, the price of Bitcoin is 21,085 cuck bucks. According to Clark's dashboard, we're currently sitting at 4,743 sats per cuck buck. We're above a $400 billion market cap, currently sitting at 406.2 billion cuck bucks. If you like market cap, I know Grubles doesn't. Uh, block height, <laughs> currently sitting at block 772,705. What's next? We had a difficulty adjustment since the last time we mentioned difficulty adjustment because we definitely didn't mention it last week. Uh, and that was an upwards adjustment of 10.3%. Yeah, this is between the summit and now. Uh, difficulty is currently sitting at an all-time high of $37.6 trillion, uh, and some change. We are 1,438 blocks away from the next adjustment, which is estimated to be on January 28th, which is nine days from today. Uh, and that's looking like a 1.9% upward adjustment. Blocks have been coming in at 9 minutes and 49 seconds on average. There are currently 22,336 transactions in Clark's mempool. If you're looking to get a, a transaction in the next block, you might want to set your fees to 18 sats per byte. According to the dashboard, Samurai unspent capacity think this is a new all-time high on RHR, 6,728.52 Bitcoin. Uh, unspent value is 142 point or 142 million cock bucks on the dot. That's a dashboard. That's the state of the network. Getting closer to block height, 777,777. I think that's Palindrome us gang. towards the end of the next month. Palindrome gang strong. We had one this week. I caught it. It's beautiful. I caught one of my block clock a couple weeks ago too. That felt good. Do you get like a million texts whenever we hit a palindrome? A lot of DMs. A lot of DMs now. Jevy, our, uh, Jevy's always there to remind me, hey, palindrome block coming up in the next few hours. You need to get like uh, one of those Cold War red phones that we have between Russia and the White House. <laughs> just between you, between you and Jevy, and Jevy just calls you every time there's a palindrome block. <laughs> Just like rings in the office. And I think we can pick it up. We should be able to make that happen here at the Commons. Speaking of the Commons, you're calling me out earlier. We can finally get a BTC Pay server <laughs> without having my uh, VPN on. We're we're stepping up our game here. And while you uh, gave a park shill for an event, Lightning Network Summit, July thirteenth to seventeenth. Uh, yeah, eleventh. Uh, uh, that's the week of the July eleventh. So the okay. actual summit's thirteenth and fourteenth. Okay. Uh, here at the Bitcoin Commons, we have the South by Southwest Bitcoin Takeover event, one day event, March seventeenth. BitDevs will be the night before March sixteenth. So, uh, we will be selling tickets for that event. Parker, Will Cole, Kaylee, and I are doing the planning for that now. Um, so that was straight fire last year. Yes. Are you making it That's on this year? You're, you're tied up this year, right? I'm playing by year. I can't commit yet. Okay. Um, the that was that was when I did my best interview ever with uh, Andrew Polstra, where I just asked him why is open source important, and then he went on an amazing thirty minute uh, story. It was a story, really. It's a yeah, good storyteller. It was just a fantastic story. And then I just ended it with "Thank you for your time." It's just like, <laughs> I said like six words. I just sat there and just listened to the fantastic story. No, I remember I was watching it in a chair, like right here outside the studio, and you were just looking at me like, I don't have to do anything. 
I just kept checking my watch. I was like, okay, we got 15 minutes left. Okay, we got seven minutes left. Okay, we got two minutes left. And then he he wrapped up himself perfectly at time and then turned to me for the next question. I was just like, thank you for your time. That was fantastic. <laughs> We're going to get more of that content this year. So March 17th, Parker should be sending out a link. If anybody wants to buy tickets, we will have early bird tickets and uh, – full price late bird tickets i don't know what the and that will sell out very quickly freaks both that and the summit so yes, very get on top room. of it high signal wait so where just are we watching parker's twitter account probably in the bitcoin comments twitter account. Okay, me and marty will retweet it and rabbit hole recap account will retweet it too yes all right on to the list is this surprising two-thirds of members of the members of congress or one-third excuse me uh, took money from FTX. I mean, I think the imp- like, it's important to realize that they're all bought and paid for, and that our system legalizes bribes. Essentially, um, people that are politically affiliated with, you know, red or blue, will say that the other side took more money. Um, I don't think it really matters. Uh, they're all like neck deep in all this garbage Ponzi money, um, including the current Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and the current Majority Leader of the Senate, Chuck Schumer. One's a Republican, one's a Democrat. Um, So, yeah, they were all on the take and helped facilitate this Ponzi. And then we'll tell you that uh, what we need is more regulation on self-sovereign Bitcoin usage, which had absolutely nothing to do with FTX. Yeah. The regulation was there. There's plenty of KYC, AML, wire fraud (laughs) illegal security offering regulation in place and it did nothing to stop ftx from squandering billions of dollars from from their consumers yeah it's already illegal to run a ponzi scheme in america yeah Uh, i'm tired of the ftx shit i hope it just i can't wait till ftx is is like cripsy like years from now we're like ah, remember FTX and SBF is on the same level as Big Burn. We just mentioned them like did that. You, did you see they they came out today right before we went on air that they might relaunch FTX US? Oh yeah, the new John Riley or whatever his name is. The guy's taking John over. Ray three. John Ray the third. bankruptcy trustee. Yeah. And then separately, I mean, we don't have this on the list, but the Three Arrows Capital guys. <laughs> this is hilarious. Announced announced GTX because G comes after F, which is supposed to be a new exchange where you can trade all of this bad debt that is still out there, um, including their own bad debt. Yes. And including Alameda, FTX's bad debt, and Barry's bad debt. So wait, wait I gotta find I gotta find the one pager. Because there is like it is hilarious. I guess my point is you said like you're done with FTX, like yeah, I mean, I Thomas just gonna, sent us that tweet. Yeah, we're going to be talking about it. Yeah, I did the Game of Thrones uh, response. What is dead may never die. Yeah. Right. I, we're going to be talking about this shit for a while. Maybe Genesis now. looks like Genesis might be declaring bankruptcy sooner than I had expected, even though Barry keeps extending it longer. We also saw Gemini and Genesis also get hit with uh, SEC violations for unregistered securities in their lending rehypothecated product. Um, so expect that shit to drag on and more bullshit to come out of that as well. 
Yeah, I think Barry Silbert. Barry Silbert still owes billions of dollars to users. I think G- DCG is screwed. You see, CoinDesk is also looking for an acquire. Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about buying CoinDesk, don't. <laughs> I just thought this was funny going back to like the GTX, the 3AC, teaming up with CoinFlex. CoinFlex had a bit of a shady background too, didn't they? Or am I misrepresenting that? Uh, someone said that Mark Lamb was like, I th- he's CoinFlex, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're the ones that uh, had a really horrible bad loan that they ran up with Roger Veer because they thought Bcash was legit. That's what I'm thinking of, yes. So, yeah, they're really all-star team they've compiled over there. Yeah. Well, I brought up this one-pager because I think it's hilarious on the 3AC side of things. <laughs> they have a... The last bullet point, 40X in FX and 80X in crypto before 3AC went bust in 2022. <laughs> I don't know if this is I, like a troll. I like, or, how, I like how straightforward the bullet point is. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is a troll slide or if they actually put this in the deck. But if We they made more money than you'll ever make in your life and then lost it all. <laughs> Next bullet. <laughs> Give us more money. I promise we won't go bust this time. Um. That has to be a troll. I don't think so. I think that's an actual slide deck. <laughs> I mean, we haven't verified it, but it seems like they were real slides that were popping up on the internet because they're raising. Yeah. Uh, we need to rid... Uh, I will I will concede that we probably will never get rid of these scammers, but... You're, but you're, people you're, people you're, like to gamble. You're a Suzu... Uh, Acolyte now, though. Apologist? <laughs> yeah. You said stay okay. on the stack if, sats. If, if someone was running one of the largest hedge funds in Bitcoin that was managing billions of dollars and that a shit ton of people looked up to and constantly called king, not me. I never did that during the bull market, um, which is ironic that people that are giving me shit for pressing retweet on his tweet. Um we're all enabling him during the bull market, and I was not. We were not. Um, if that kind of person who's just lost billions of dollars uh, basically doing degen trading, including on shit coins and leverage, um, if they send a tweet out that says, stay humble, stack sats, and I'm drinking at the bar, and I see that tweet, I'm going to press retweet. It's fucking <laughs> hilarious. It is absolutely fucking hilarious. So don't read too much into it. Don't get mad at Twitter people. And... Uh, I no regrets. That tweet was fucking he, so. He literally tweeted out. He's like, uh, "Learn from me. Don't trade crypto. Don't use live leverage. Hold your own keys. Stay humble. Stack sats." More or less. That was what he tweeted. Of course, I'm gonna press retweet. It's fucking <laughs> hilarious. Everyone was messaging me on it, like tagging me on it. Of course, I'm gonna press retweet. Yeah, you have to. And people should have been taking your advice before they were vaunting Suzu and Kyle Davies up as these. Super cycle gods. Super yeah, and it cycle. Goes, they kept calling him like king in the comments. I remember that was a big thing. You do like the salute, which also I I borrowed for Stamble Stack Sats now, but they would do like the salute emoji. They would call him king. Um, like these people were treated like the smartest people in the room. And this goes along our, our thesis that we've talked about for years at Rabbit Hole Recap, where it's like stay humble Stack Sats is not um, – it is advice – but ultimately, if you're in Bitcoin long enough and you stay in Bitcoin long enough, you either stay humble or Bitcoin humbles you. And then you stay humble and stack sats from that point forward. Right. So you either learn from touching the stove or you just 
I, I, I think it's probably few and far between that people just come in and stay humble and stack sats. Usually it's, it's if you're not humble, Bitcoin humbles you. Um, but that's the thesis. And this was playing out in real time on Twitter this week. So, yeah. Suzu is one of those people who had to be humbled. Like we have Bernoulli, we have Bernoulli in the comments. I'd hit retweet also. It should be done. Thank you, Bernoulli. <laughs> but again, going back to that tweet, this is just pure posturing, as you can see via the slide deck. Like, sure, but also like hilarious. Yes, very funny. I got a chuckle out of it. That was one of those somebody signal messaged it to me in the morning. I rolled over. First thing I saw on my phone was. Because you were saying, in Nashville, right? I, yeah. I think I was like drinking with the with everyone who was in town for the summit, and I, I literally everyone was like telling me about it in person. And I just opened up Twitter, press retweet, and then closed Twitter. And then I woke up the next morning, and there was like all these people just like they're like, "Why would Odell retweet this? Why this? Why that?" And then I just tweeted out, "Good morning, stay humble, stack sats," and then closed Twitter again. <laughs> it's the this is the way to do Twitter freaks. Take some take go. some lessons from your your uncle Odell. Your Uncle Jim. Next on the list, really cool story uh, dropped in the MIT Technology Review. Uh, Congo National Park, Virunga National Park, uh, is leveraging excess capacity at a hydroelectric dam that was recently built to mine Bitcoin. Uh, they were ravaged by Ebola and then COVID, and it's a war-torn area, so it's high risk, and that has really decimated the tourism industry for Virunga, and that was driving a considerable amount of the revenue to keep the park afloat and to keep the local community um, economic activity up. Uh, and so they've turned to Bitcoin mining to replace that tourism revenue, and it's been working out pretty well for them. So Adam Popescu, not related to Mercia Popescu, I <laughs> asked him. Know? I asked him. <laughs> he was, I had him on the show. We dropped that yesterday to go over... Oh, nice. This article, and I asked him before we hit record, I'm like, are you, are you related to Mercia? He's like, no. Off the record. He was like, Pope Askew is, uh, is like the last name Smith, where we're from. Did he uh, know Did he know who you were talking about? Yeah, I th it seemed like it. Um, he probably gets asked it a lot if he's into Bitcoin. Yeah, not related to Mercia. Um, but, so, yeah, this, this is a really cool story. This mine has been open since 2020 um, and has basically... Uh, overtook their tourism dollars that they lost uh, between all the different events that Marty was saying, Ebola and, and COVID after that and the COVID lockdowns. Um, really fucking cool. This is why the title of the episode is Bitcoin Mining Saves Animals. And this is why uh, Matt because, is wearing a safari uh, exactly. shirt. You got to live, you got to live the theme. <laughs> no, but I so, do look like I could go lead a safari right now. You do. Uh, no, but this, I mean, this highlights something that Many things that Bitcoin miners have been saying for for years now is that Bitcoin mining particularly can help incentivize uh, either the build out or the continued production of stranded energy resources. This hydroelectric dam was built about ten years ago, I believe, and it was providing electricity for the park and in local areas. Uh, but obviously, with the shitstorm of the last three years, that tourism revenues dried up. They decided to use excess capacity. Matt mentioned they started mining in 2020. I believe September of 2020, they timed uh, the mining market perfectly with the China. Uh, Nailed it. 
with the China exodus and the fall in the price of Bitcoin. China exodus was 2021. It got relatively cheap ASICs and started plugging them in when Bitcoin was... It was still a good price in 2020. Yeah, in Bitcoin. Because because Bitcoin price fell. uh, But yeah, the hash rate exodus was 2021. Yes, Um, but... Yeah, it's really cool. And uh, speaking with Adam, he he did mention one thing. I think I don't know. I'm gonna call him like a direct skeptic, but I think he was um, questioning the narrative about Bitcoin mining. He admitted that um, Virunga particularly was having a problem with Virunga is a national park, but there's people that live locals that live within the park, and they were chopping down trees, and uh, there was a lot of conflict because they didn't have like base layer electricity. Power power yeah. um, and this dam being there and providing power has led to less deforestation uh, less conflict because people are able to have electricity and do productive things instead of having to go out in the wild and fight for resources and so I mean this is a really when cool... you have electricity and you can charge your phone and have a light like all of a sudden everyone's a lot more peaceful yes exactly so uh this is a great story for Bitcoin mining. It's one of many examples. We mentioned Gridless earlier. They're doing something similar on a, on a smaller scale uh, in Kenya. But, uh, I mean, this is a validation of the thesis that Bitcoin mining incentivizes uh, energy production, reliable energy production in, in more rural areas. And highly efficient energy production without any centralized control that dictates where that goes. Um, I mean, Virunga is, I believe, the largest uh, protected park in Africa. Um, it is a Congo national park, but the Congolese government only gives them 1% of their operating budget every year. So they have to figure out things on their own. Um, and this made sense to them, and they fucking did it, and it worked, right? And there, there was no you know, overarching centralized body that basically dictated and said, like, this is how you're going to run your park, and this is how you're going to do it. Um, it was just very, very clean incentives uh, that just led to that to that happening. Pretty amazing. Yes. And then on top of all that, the Bitcoin mining stuff, um, this is just like a fascinating story. Uh, Virunga's run by a Belgian prince. Um, if you don't know the history of the Democratic Republic of Congo, it was once uh, a Belgian colony. And so there's a lot of sort of tension with the fact that this is being run by a Belgian prince and uh, the Bitcoiner who sort of backed, who backed the the mining operation seems like a a wildcatter of sorts. And it's like a really interesting story of a bunch of crazy characters getting together to do something uh, out of the box, which is using this electricity to mine Bitcoin to keep the, the park afloat. So highly recommend you guys go check it out. Go check out... The TFTC rip I recorded with Adam, uh, posted that yesterday. It's less than an hour. Um, Adam's a really good storyteller. And if you want to learn more details about the the nature of the different tribes and what's going on on the ground in terms of uh, war and different factions, it's it's really good insight into some of the political chaos in, in Congo. We have breaking news. Is it verified? Yes. What is the breaking news, Marty? Pull it up. The full Lightning Network experience is now on Cash App. 
Send and receive Bitcoin to other Lightning-enabled wallets instantly and for free. Find it in the Bitcoin tile of your app or learn more here. This feature is not available to customers. <laughs> Thanks, Ben Lossky. Um Ben Lossky was the chief architect of the Bit License, which is why New York is always on lists with North Korea and Russia and shit. Um, it wasn't this feature already available, Marty? I'm not sure. Could you receive Everlighting? Uh, yeah, that was my yeah. understanding. Yeah, you could with the... Maybe they were like stage rolling it out and now it's available to actually, absolutely everybody. Yeah. They usually roll out features and stages. Well, anyway, it's good to see. Obviously, the freaks know the trade-offs with KYC services. I will say one interesting aspect of the fact that Cash App supports Lightning, um, just that they support Bitcoin deposits and withdrawals in general. Um, Venmo does as well. Uh, so does Robinhood. And so does Strike. And it's the first time none of these none of these like payment apps that we use were ever able to pay in between different user bases. It was like if you if someone had Venmo, you needed to install Venmo KYC with them, link it to your bank account to pay them through Venmo. Because of Bitcoin and because of the raw incentives of Bitcoin integration, that it's better for all these companies to integrate Bitcoin, they're all now part of this interoperable network. Obviously requires permission when you use these custodial regulated services. But the fact of the matter is, for the first time in Cash App's and Venmo's history, you can easily transfer between those accounts um, without withdrawing to a bank, then reloading it onto the respective app, and then sending it within the app, which is pretty its pretty amazing how just, once again, just a clean incentive, right? Integrate Bitcoin, your customers will be happy. If you don't integrate Bitcoin, your competitors will do it. And then when everyone integrates Bitcoin, they're all interoperable with each other without any kind of legal documents or any kind of handshake deals. Yeah, it sort of decays these walled gardens we often mention on the show. They're still somewhat walled gardens, but but less. The the, the fence is a bit lower. You can throw stuff over the fence. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, so They're fenced to, gardens, not walled gardens. Yes. So shout out to Cash App. It's good to see building in the bear market, getting lightning and Bitcoin into more people's hands. Uh, That's what I don't, I don't have that on the list talking about breaking news. The DOJ apparently has Justin (laughs) Sun as an advisor because they did an announcement of an announcement yesterday. Oh, I thought uh, thought you were being serious for a second. What the fuck? (laughs) They did an announcement of announcement yesterday and said they were going to announce a big enforcement action. And then they get up on the podium and they say that they shut down a Russian exchange that nobody has ever heard of called Bitslato, which I didn't even know how to spell it when I was listening to the DOJ thing because I was just like, I do not recognize that exchange at all. Yeah, we were all expecting something big. And I was like, what the... I think they had maybe $700 million in total volume over time. I will say one interesting point is that uh, Bitslato was advertised as a peer-to-peer non-custodial exchange which has interesting implications if that was actually the case. But my understanding, I had no idea that this exchange existed. Obviously, the website's down. Is My understanding was that they were actually taking custody. There was some kind of escrow process that was involved, or it wasn't really uh, non-custodial. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. And there was a, a, a Bitcoin talk.org post going around of the founder in 2011. Uh being surprised that he recovered Bitcoin uh, via backup and people trying to deuce on him for that. But it was like, hey, he was around in 2011. It was fucking 2011, man. <laughs> yeah. 
So that guy's been around for a while. See any, I don't want to see anyone dunking on 2011 Bitcoin talk posts. Where the fuck were you? Exactly. I wasn't here. Neither was I. Um, no, but yeah, this DOJ, they spooked the markets. The price dumped like the 20 minutes before and then started ripping again right after or going back to every, every You got to imagine Tucker was sitting there. He's like, they're about to announce the ransomware deal. You know, they're about to do it. <laughs> I think people were expecting enforcement action against Binance. Obviously, that didn't come to be, but I do believe that Binance was mentioned as a counterparty in the announcement. This more seemed like a Russian sanctions thing than a like a Bitcoin or crypto thing yeah. to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if someone was someone else posted like analysis of like Google searches for Bitslato, which also explains why we've never heard of it. And it's just all Russian, like Russia block countries, like ex-Soviet block countries. Yeah. Um, no, it's like highlights the priorities of the U.S. government. You have FTX, 3AC, BlockFi, Celsius, all these companies that are here in the United States doing scams that are orders of magnitude. I don't even know if Bits. Bit lots of was scamming people. I just don't think the U.S. government liked that they weren't doing KYC. AML. They were no KYC, so a yeah. lot of presumably a lot of Russians on the sanction list were using them to basically go between dollar, uh, go between rubles and like traditional financial system and and Bitcoin. Yeah, and so and they particularly mentioned Hydra, which was a, the largest dark market, which predominantly was used by Russians um, because Hydra had the model where they would do the drops instead of using the postal service so it was like go to these coordinates and and your drugs or whatever you're buying where it's like under the bench um and they said hydra used bitslato a lot to get back into fiat rails also one other thing that was interesting by the doj is she specifically said between transfers between fiat and crypto i'm pretty sure the term fiat is like that's a meme that we won, right? Like they have the self-hosted, unhosted wallets or whatever, but like government officials saying the word fiat as in fiat currency is a relatively new phenomenon. They never called it fiat before. Yeah, no, they bent the knee. They, they've been forced to live in our framing. A great example of Bitcoin or setting the frame. Yeah, yep. we can pat our, back, pat our backs on that one, right? It's fiat now. And that, it's, it's fiat now. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but that nomenclature begins to seep into the minds of the masses and what is fiat i've never heard fiat before what is that do some searching maybe they find the bitcoin standard maybe they stumble upon the nakamoto institute (laughs) it probably will find the the car company at some point on that what's what's the over under on when like a government official says the term sound money it's already happened i mean ron paul was saying it oh yeah i guess you're right yeah there's the hardcore libertarian politicians. There's always... a carve out. Ron Paul doesn't count as a government official. <laughs> yeah, it would be. I guess a better sort of bet would be when is a Fed official forced to justify justify their monetary policy against the sound monetary policy? I like Uncle thinks in the comments. My girlfriend definitely thought I was talking about cars for a long time. LOL. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of fiat. Those cars are, are too small. Very fiat. <laughs> but um, ching. Yeah. Um, these people are putting in a new security system here at the Commons, and I think these guys want to get in here, but no. Our Is HR. it cloud-based? 
I don't think so. It's hardwired. When is when it, you could be hardwired in cloud based? Am I giving up security details to the comments here now? When does uh, the security tapes leap leak of the commons because it's on cloud? It's not video stuff. It's just access stuff. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. Um, sorry. Unchained comments freaks if I'm, if I'm leaking security <laughs> details right now. They're like, Marty, Marty leaked our previous security situation, so we had to replace it. But while they were installing it, Marty then leaked it again. <laughs> Ah, back to the list. This was cool to see. I know you're hyped about this. BIP 329 has been merged, uh, and Sparrow's already leveraging its standard for wallet label exports and imports. Yeah, so I mean, Craig Raw, who's uh, an absolute legend and the pretty much the only developer, and he's the lead maintainer of Sparrow Wallet, which is our favorite desktop wallet, uh, completely open source. Uh, has championed this uh, BIP, and a BIP stands for a Bitcoin Improvement Proposal. Um, and basically the idea is, so we've talked about this a lot on the show, we've talked about it for years, this idea that when you're using Bitcoin, you should label everything. And why do you want to label things? So if I receive a transaction from Marty, um, I want to label that Marty, um, or you know, Marty pays for beer or something. And that means that when you're when you're sending a Bitcoin transaction, um, it's really not a lot of Bitcoin wallets will show you one pool of funds, you know, like, oh, I have 50 million sats in this wallet. But really, it's a bunch of different transaction outputs, unspent transaction outputs that make up that total. Uh, so you really have like and you can think of it like bills in your wallet. You really have a collection of bills in your wallet. And then every time you send a transaction, it takes some of those UTXOs and it combines them together to meet the amount that you need to send. Um, so you want labeling so that you know which Bitcoin you're spending when you're spending it for privacy best practices. Um, it also can obviously help for accounting and all these other things. And it's important to keep in mind, people go, why would I label things if it's for privacy? All these labels are local and they're held on your local offline device. Um, so they're not, by adding a label, I've received this by Marty, uh, it's not like telling the whole network that that transaction was Marty sending me money for beer. It's just telling myself for my own accounting. Now, the issue there is, and also for multi-sig labels becomes really important because I want to label my different keys, right? Um, you know, this is the treasure I, I keep at the office, or this is, uh, don't use safe deposit boxes, but this is like the cold card in a safe deposit box, right? Um, so you want to label your keys, you want to label all these different things in your wallet, but up until now, there has never been a standard for you to then back those up and import them into another wallet. And a lot of freaks, including myself, saw this pain point um, because we were using Spectre Desktop, and then Sparrow got created and started shipping, and, and then we wanted to switch to Sparrow, and you couldn't move your labels from Spectre to Sparrow. So now we have a standard for backing those up and importing them. Hopefully we see... And it's up to individual wallets to support this standard, but Craig has obviously been championing it. So Sparrow will support it and hopefully we see more wallets support it. So then you'll be able to just back up your seed, back up all the different information you need for your wallets, but then also back up your labels and then you can import them to either the same wallet in the future if you need to restore or to a different wallet altogether uh, if you want to switch which software you're using. So this is absolutely massive. Um, and Craig has basically single-handedly pushed this into existence. So huge shout out to Craig. We appreciate you. Love you, Craig. No, this is massive. And start labeling. 
earlier rather than later. It does get confusing, especially if you have multiple wallets. It Yeah, in four years you're gonna go back and send a transaction and have no idea what those Bitcoin yeah. history is. It's not hard to do. Trezor makes it easy. Uh, Sparrow makes it easy. Just work it into your workflow. Begin doing it. It is it's not even that tedious. It's just like another step. You're like, ah, oh, why the hell would I do this? But it's it's worthwhile. I have a lot of issues with Wasabi, um, which we don't have to go into, but I will say that I did always appreciate that they basically force you to create a label when you generate a new receive address. So they just build it into the flow. Um, That's a good practice. I think I'm, I'm for that. I think there should be probably an advanced setting that disables that if a power user doesn't want to go through that trouble. But I, I like it as a default. Yes. I do as well. All right, we've got... And just just to keep this in mind, freaks, because it can be a little bit confusing, if you're receiving a lightning payment, there's a memo field before you create an invoice. That memo field is not the same as labeling an on-chain transaction. Whoever pays you, and if they pay you from Strike or something, or Cash App, can see that label, right? So... This was a problem um, with the Chivo wallet rollout. Yeah, like, well, well, that was even worse because they put the full name in the label. Yeah. Um, your full KYC name was in the label, but like, so if you, if, if you create a lightning invoice and you're like, uh, Marty's payment for drugs, and then you post that on Twitter, anyone who sees that invoice, or if Marty pays it from strike, will see that the memo is Marty pays for drugs. So just keep in mind that that memo is completely public, uh, should be treated as completely public, uh, on lightning, but it's really between you and the sender, but. Yeah, keep if the sender's using a KYC service or if it gets posted on an unencrypted channel like Twitter or something like that, it's public. Yes, and I should make you all aware I don't do drugs. Uh, so I will not. Correct. It was just a an example. theoretical example. I've got children now. It was, it was supposed to be a theoretical example that also, you know, closes Marty's KYC account if he pays from it, right? Like, uh, <laughs> I think there was some freaks who like put, and we've seen this with like Venmo memos. Like people joking around, they're like payment for Iranian something or whatever, and then yes. like sanctions closes their account. Yeah, they just put like an um, Iranian flag as the memo. Yeah. Venmo. Done. Beware, freaks. Beware. Marty, Marty's payment for hugs would be more secure. <laughs> uh, I don't have to pay people for hugs. People like to give me That'd hugs. That'd be a sad, sad existence. Yeah, that would be that would. If you're, if you're ever at the point where you need to pay people for hugs, you either need to take a shower or uh, change the way you speak to people. Okay. Moving on. I mean, that was a software update, technically. But we usually do the shout outs kind of. before software updates. So we'll get to shout outs. Uh, just kidding. This is the third week in a row with no shout outs. That was actually a shout out that we were supposed to read last week. But we didn't get the shout outs last week. Appreciate you, Freak. Thanks for the support. Love the support. Only have two shout outs this week. Second shout out of the week is happy... wait, wait, the actual shout out shout out said in the text, just kidding. Third yes. week in a row, no yes. shout outs. It was a joke. Very funny freak. Very funny. I appreciate it. We only have two shout outs this week. Very short ones. Second and last shout out. Happy birthday into another great year. So if Cheers you're to whoever that's to. If you're listening and it's your birthday, here's to another great year. This is to everybody whose birthday is today, January 19th, 2023. I, 
I love the idea that freaks like do like they know a friend listens to the show and they just do a secret shout out for them. Yes. You like the shout outs. If you want to purchase a shout out, you can do so at tftc.io slash contribute. Back you can to also the- support the show through podcasting 2.0 apps, including yes. Boostergrams, and we read those on air. Maybe um, we'll do we that. We read the top four of those on air. Let's and also that. anyone can read those Boostergrams um, by using a podcasting 2.0 supporting app. Yeah, while you mention it, we'll just do the Boostergrams too since it was a, a light shout-out week. I always have to turn my Wi-Fi off and I do this. Um, but this will be... The top four boostograms from Rabbit Hole Recap, Rip, 235, Party Rip at Bitcoin Park in Nashville. At Stimmy, 69,420 sats. Nice. Nice rip. And like JFK said, ask not if the bottom is in. Ask if you are in the bottom. I don't remember JFK saying that, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I did ask last week. I kept asking if the bottom was in. It was right before we ripped super hard. Maybe it was. Was the bottom in? Is the bottom in? Is the top in? (sighs) Don't don't put me in this position. Anything I say, it's going to go the opposite direction. I don't know. I don't know. Could go either way. At Eric nine nine fifty thousand sats. Much love. Thank you, Eric. At Cryosats. Appreciate you. 25,000 sats. Stack sats, stay humble. Stream sats, stay supporting. Thank you, Cryosats. It's a message to you. I just want to say, Eric99, like two weeks ago, said like it was his last support because he's he's working on stacking more sats until he supports us again, and he keeps showing up. So I just want to say I appreciate you. I saw that too. Uh, shout, shout out to your, you, Eric. Your, your ride or die-ness uh, has not gone unnoticed. It has not. I mean, these are public, so I feel comfortable saying this. Hope you get those overtime hours back. See. Yeah, I think we read that shout out. So yeah. Uh, fourth and final boostergram from last week's rip from at Bon. Ten thousand one hundred one sats a palindrome boost. Uh, bonjour Arbido. With a baguette emoji. <laughs> Arbido. I love it. Our favorite <laughs> Frenchman. <laughs> Thank you, Freak. Appreciate the support. Thank all you Freaks for supporting, whether it be via shoutouts or boostergrams via podcasting 2.0 compatible apps. If you want to support the show if you're getting value and you want to send it back our way, those are the two ways to do it. I'll admit podcasting 2.0 is probably a bit easier since there's these apps that you can listen and support as you listen. Um, and it's super cool because... So, like, if you do a shout-out, like, it goes to our centralized BTC pay server and then Marty has to go and then manually distribute those sats. Um, but with podcasting 2.0, it's just like it auto splits between me, Marty, Logan, and OpenSats. Yes. At the time of send. Oh. Which is fucking magical. Yes, this is, um, it is very magical. And this is a good time to bring uh, the voice of God, Logan, back in. Logan, pick up the mic. You do receive sats for this show, but you've yet to set up your Lightning Network. I went and put my Raspberry Pi on my desk today before I came here so I would remember to set it up yes as a node so for well, rabbit we will hole, bless you with liquidity when it's ready so just yes. let us know yes rabbit hole recap we run the that's shows. what everyone does right like the when sh- they open a new channel they go I bless you with liquidity yes and then they press 
send transaction. Yes. Enjoy it. But yeah, we run rabbit hole recap through fountain. Does that splits. Logan has a fountain account uh, that we send to, but then <coughs> for TFTC that runs through our own node. And well, I can, so I get, I cannot put a, a fountain address in there. Yeah, this is right, on Logan. I, Logan doesn't have his node set up, but you have Logan's your currently up. using a custodial wallet to receive. He's still receiving his sats. It's just on Rabbit Recap. Custodial wallet. Yeah, and then, but I'm getting it comes straight to my node. Yes, one of my nodes. There are many. There are many, and then we do five percent to open sats. Here, I will say the pain of self-sovereign pain of self-sovereign uh, usage is. Uh, realizing a week later that the Citadel Dispatch node was offline and I received none of the sats that week. <laughs> it is painful. Luckily, do you, you probably have Citadel Dispatch diehards that will tweet at you like, oh, this didn't go through. I, I did not realize for a week. I get that once. Like, I get that once when the node goes down. Freak me you kind play. of have to click in. Depending on which app you're sending it to, you kind of have to click in to see if the payment failed. And Dispatch does have a lot of splits, so it's just like just my split didn't go, but... Yeah. What are you going to do? Personal responsibility. That was my fault. Got to make sure your node's up and running. Node management. It's not easy. Hopefully it gets easier. Um, back to the list. Blixit Wallet version 0.6.2. Blixed. Blixed. <laughs> Wallet version 0.6.2 has been released. The app's been translated to Croatian. The updated LNB, LND version 0.15.5. Uh, any other glaring updates here i would just say that blixt is one of the few maintained wallets that's available on desktop uh, for lightning uh, i think it's mac only right now but uh it's just a great wallet we'll keep covering updates to it blix not Blixit. get it through your head marty this is like i always just put in another eye after the x I'm reading, speed reading here. When I hear Blixit, I think like it's the British leaving the European Union using Lightning Network. <laughs> and Blixit. Uh, yeah, the British, yeah, that's the British leaving the pound They're dropping system. the euro and adopting sats. Well, now they have the, are, are they still using They never had the euro. Yeah, they never, they never had the euro. The pound has always existed. Next on the list, we have understanding the cold card. MK4 security model and secure element use. Obviously, MK4 uses two secure elements, uh, and this is um, a blog post from CoinKite that goes into everything that's so, going on. So first of all, uh, disclosure, CoinKite's a sponsor of the podcast. Uh, disclosure, also, they're a portfolio company. Well, so we this came up... so. At 1031, our team at 1031 is extremely proud to support uh, CoinKite. Um, we are the only external investors um, that him and Peter have taken on. They bootstrapped this company all by their own, uh, consistently making the best Bitcoin hardware in the space. Uh, funny story, uh, we basically told NVK that he could announce it at his leisure whenever he wanted. And if he didn't want to announce it, he didn't have to announce it. Uh, he comes to Nashville. Uh, we have him on Rabbit Hole Recap. We ask him if he wants to announce on Rabbit Hole Recap. He's like, no, no, not ready yet. Um, next day, the summit starts. Um, I'm on. I'm in the front on a panel with Harry Suddock, and he's in the back, and he just sends out a ninja tweet from CoinKite just saying, CoinKite handshake 1031, and that's how that <laughs> announcement happened. 
Um, so first of all, I think it's important that we just take a moment here uh, because I'm extremely proud to support them. Uh, one of the best Bitcoin companies in the space um, and, and the single best hardware manufacturer in the space. So um, huge shout to them and what they're building. And we're just going to stay out of their way and let them do what they do best. Yes. Nothing, nothing changes uh, in that respect. No, extremely proud to have them on the roster at 1031. And um, I mean, I've been using the SATS cards and the TAP signer pretty religiously for the last four months, I think. What they're doing there with that card form factor that's NFC enabled is going to be massive for for usability and adoption, particularly in areas that are that are mobile first around the world. So I'm very excited. And lower that we're income them. too. Yes. Because the cost is so cheap. Yeah. Um, and then the second reason I put this article in here is because there's a lot of secure element FUD going around uh, the internet. Um, and the reason CoinKite is amazing is because they've thought through the majority of this FUD and designed their product intentionally uh, because they understand that there should be fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, when you're talking about securing generational wealth and securing Bitcoin long-term. Uh, and there should be products that try and um, address all those different adversarial scenarios. So this great post by Tristan Borges, sorry if I butchered your name, uh, basically goes through the setup of cold card if, as if you were setting up a new wallet from start to finish and all the different security situations that they've basically uh, built the device to handle. And part of that is what Marty was saying is that you actually have three chips in a cold card. Um, and, and something like a Trezor that doesn't have a secure element, you only have the MCU, uh, which is this open microcontroller, this, this chip. Uh, the cold card has one of those. Uh, the cold card then has a secure element, which you see a secure element in like ledger devices. You see a secure element in foundation. You see a secure element in, in a lot of cell phones. Now, the cold card goes a step further and has a second secure element from a different vendor. And the way cold card is designed, the TLDR here, you know, too long didn't read is what that stands for. Someone asked me the other day what that stands for. Uh, the quick summary is all three chips essentially need to be compromised for you to be a compromised. And then on top of that, the cold card gives you the ability to add dice rolls for additional entropy, additional randomness. So they take all three chips for randomness, and then you could add your own dice for additional randomness on top of that. Um, so they've taken a lot of, lot of precautions here when building this device. Obviously, nothing is absolutely perfect. Everything has trade-offs, uh, but they were very calculated and considerate when building this product. And I, I suggest that anyone who's considering buying a hardware wallet or someone who has a cold card and is maybe concerned about what they're reading on the internet to just go through this entire post and just read, read it through and, and truly try to understand uh, all the different thought processes that, that went through in, into building this device. Yes. Very thorough blog post, long read and Saturday morning yeah. coffee read. And the reason the secure element is necessary in the first place, I mean, among, there's multiple reasons, but the main reason is if someone gets your hardware, their, your hardware in, in their hand. So if let's say you have single SIG, let's throw multi-SIG out of the equation for now because that adds a bunch of other nuances. You have a single SIG wallet, you have a, the, a regular wallet like most people use a hardware wallet. Someone gets access to your hardware wallet. The main protection there is the PIN, the PIN code, right? Now the secure element 
makes it so that pin code can only be entered a certain number of times. I believe it's 13 times on the cold card before it wipes the device. The secure elements enforce that. The second thing the secure element does for a physical attack scenario is it protects that encrypted private key, which by the way is encrypted by the MCU and a secret from the second secure element. So all three need to be compromised to get that encryption is stored on the secure element so that if someone gets physical access, they can't easily just pull your private key off. If, if you have hardware wallets that don't have a secure element, you can easily pull those off. You can easily pull the private keys off. We've seen attacks in the past where a Trezor is basically plugged in via USB and someone pulls the private key off of it. Now, to protect against that, if you don't have a secure element, there's basically two scenarios that people do. You either add a very long passphrase, which is essentially a 13th or 25th word that the user adds to their generated seed. Um, that is not stored on the device. So like your treasurer is storing those 12 words, but it doesn't know the 13th word. And then you're in a situation essentially where that passphrase needs to be brute forced um, and needs to be guessed by the attacker to, to get access to the wallet. Um, or you do something like the seed signer model and the Spectre DIY model where the actual private key is not supposed to be stored on the device. And every time the device powers off, it completely wipes itself. And then you have to re-enter the private key. Um, so that, that is why the secure element exists in the first place is one of the main reasons is to, is to give you that, that physical hardware protection. If someone gets a hold of that device, and as we said on rabbit hole recap in the past, you should still protect your device and, and try and make it so that an attacker doesn't get physical access. Um, but that, that's where the secure element really comes into play. Yes. I have nothing to add. That was a perfect explanation. Protect Cheers. your devices. Always think, obviously put in all these safeguards, but first priority should be protecting your device. Put it in a place where nobody else is going to get access to it and you don't have to really think about all this stuff. But accidents happen, stuff happens, and you want these safeguards in place, which CoinKite provides. And you can read this blog post to, to walk through all the process that goes into building their hardware. Yeah, read this post, freaks. It's a good one. Yes. Uh, next up, this is pretty, I mean, I would say shocking, but it should be expected. U.S. law enforcement it's agency. It's sad that it's not shocking. Yes. U.S. law enforcement agencies surveil over 150 million financial tra transactions of Americans without a warrant. And so this is a uh, policy, I guess, that was instituted via the Arizona State Attorney General's Office in 2014. Uh, it's leveraging a little-known nonprofit called Transaction Record Analysis Center or a track um, to surveil without a warrant people's financial transactions in America. Again, 150 million people, uh, a little less than half of American citizens. The intent uh, of the program... Uh, it's 150 million transactions. Transactions, people. excuse me, transactions. Uh, the intent of the program was originally... Uh, to combat cross-border trafficking of drugs and people from Mexico. This was part of a deal that the Arizona State Attorney General's office made with Western Union again in 2014, but it seems like so basically, yeah. the narrow focus of the original mandate has, has spread beyond this one particular um, sur surveillance use case 
with the border. Yeah, so basically like Western Union and all these other payment companies, quote unquote, voluntarily send, send their transaction detail information to this Arizona nonprofit that then passes it through to law enforcement agencies around the country without a warrant. Um, and that's like the carve out they've done. And I just wanted to say uh, this is this disclosure is part of uh, Senator Wyden's um, uh, investigation. And so he's always been, you know, obviously I'm inherently skeptical of politicians, uh, but he's always been re- recently he's been really fighting for uh, American privacy rights um, and freedom. Um, and it's just it's really great to see. I think he showed up in the Commons at one point as well, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. I was here. Senator Wyden and his staff came uh, and basically just had a conversation with us here in the Commons. And like Matt said, I'm typically extremely highly skeptical of politicians, but when it comes to uh, attempting to preserve the privacy rights of individual American citizens, I mean, his record speaks for itself. It's yeah. not. It's not only recently. He's definitely put his foot on the gas pedal recently, but yeah. he's um, he's been ahead of the. He's curve. built his whole career on it, basically. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's good to see it's it's good to see a few good people out there actually fighting the good fight. Um, and I will say, just to add on top, I think the reason. So this was uh, a Wall Street Journal exclusive. Um, I think. The people behind it expected it to be bigger news and a bigger splash than it is. And the reason it's not is because most of our peers, most Americans, literally walk around just assuming that the government and law enforcement agencies are tracking all of our financial transactions without a warrant and are basically just um, disenfranchised by it. They just assume there's no tools available to to get around that. They just assume every one of their transactions is surveilled. So they see a news story like this and they're just like, oh, well, of course that's happening, right? Like I, I already expected that to be happening. And that's just the absolute sad state and reality of where we are currently with financial privacy. We're just, everyone assumes we don't have it. Uh, our rights continue to get eroded and people refuse to search out the tools and the education that allows them to actually conduct financial transactions privately which is completely legal to do. Um, we are legally allowed to have financial transactions between individuals that are private and not surveilled. Uh, our whole economy has relied on cash for decades before we switched to this digital panopticon money system. Um, and it functioned just fine. Police had to do good old fashioned police work and they weren't able to track every single little purchase, including the purchases that Marty makes for hugs um, because no one will hug him for free. Yes. Like Matt said, this is a sad state of our reality right now in the financial system, the Panopticon that's been erected. And this is why we Bitcoin. Obviously we're very open about it here on rabbit hole recap and our other podcasts that Bitcoin's privacy assurances are subpar at the moment. And it's not easy to use Bitcoin privately, but it is possible the tools that enable you to do it are uh, growing and becoming better every day. Uh, I don't think we're going to fix the financial privacy problem that exists via the incumbent system. I think that's too far gone. They're not going to change their ways. And the way that system is architected from a technological perspective, it's inherently built in. So you're not going to get away from it. Even if you write all these laws, they're still going to be able to do it. And that's why, we Bitcoin, again, Bitcoin's privacy assurances aren't perfect. Uh, they are subpar at the moment, but they're getting better. 
and then Bitcoin does provide hope that we can transition to a monetary system that is not only peer-to-peer, that is not only uh, sound with a, with a hard-capped supply, but also allows us to transact more privately. 100%. Already talked Lightning Summit. We've got three more here, uh, a bit more macro focus. First up, Bank of Japan seems to be losing control uh, of their yield curve. Uh, if you don't recall, right, was it right before New Year's or right before Christmas? Well, it was around Christmas or New Year's. Bank of Japan just went Leroy Jenkins on global financial markets. Leroy Jenkins. Leroy Jenkins. I wonder how many, I wonder how many freaks get that reference. It was, it's an old internet meme. But uh, for those who don't know the meme or understand it, Bank of Japan basically came out of nowhere with a massive policy change, they increased their uh, 10-year Japanese government bond target and increased that from 25 bips to 50 bips. Uh, Again, that was around Christmas or New Year's, right before one of the two. Uh, Really sent a shockwave through markets, confused a bunch of people, and it seems like they've already lost control of that target. They had to print a bunch of money earlier this week to try to... um, try to defend that or push push the rate up there i think it's below 50 bips right now so i don't know exactly. marty added marty added this topic and the next two topics to the list and i'm going to call this the mandible section of the show this is, just all, <laughs> this is all mandibles uh i should maybe i should write a book and i'll just like write the mandibles word for word um and then just pretend you never read it yeah <laughs> like what are you talking about never read it just just these are the thoughts that are coming to my mind uh <laughs> Hard to say from my perspective exactly what's going on in Japan with the Bank of Japan. Bank of Japan owns like 50% of the Japanese government bond market, which is not normal. Uh, It seems like things are getting chaotic there. For those of you who are unaware, the Bank of Japan was the first to embark on QE-like policy back in the 90s. It's been going on for quite some time. People are saying that, hey, the United States can do this for a while because Japan's done it without any catastrophic outcomes uh, for, for decades. But it seems like uh, the end of the road may be upon us in Japan, particularly with their monetary policy. I don't know exactly what's going on. It does we're, seem like they are losing control to some extent. So that we're, will have... we're basically like running like a like a global monetary marathon, and but there's a cliff somewhere on the racetrack, and Japan's in the front, right? Yes, yeah. It's like they're going to be the first over the cliff. Yes, and that's. I mean, there's a lot of discussion of the economic situation here in the United States, Europe, and other parts of the world. Uh, We'll get to some U.S.-specific topics um, and more worldly topics as well to end the show. But I think there is a bit of a blind spot out there with people thinking myopically about policy and the economic situation here in the United States. I think something like the Bank of Japan losing control of its yield curve can uh, be a black swan event that... You know, no matter what we're doing here in the United States to get our house in order, that could have an adverse effect, and it really wouldn't matter. It would send a shockwave across global financial markets that that nobody can really control. So that's something to pay attention to. It's all to. interconnected. Yeah. Yes. Which gets us to the U.S. This is just a trend I wrote a bent earlier this week about uh, three alarm bells that are going off uh, here in the United States that 
lead me to believe that we're probably in a recession uh, already. Uh, the, the Fed and the government and the BLS just don't want to admit it. They're manipulating stats, whether it be the CPI or unemployment numbers, um, to make it look like we're not in a recession. But if you look out there, uh, it seems that the American consumer is extremely stressed right now. Uh, one of the charts you should be looking at is the amount of consumer credit, how it's growing, how fast it's growing. Uh, so in 2020, when we locked down the economy, everybody went home, had a bunch more disposable income because they weren't able to go spend it at restaurants and movie theaters and whatnot. Uh, and so they paid down a lot of their debt. So consumer credit cratered in 2020. It started going back up in mid-2021. And what I would, here, I'll, I'll pull the chart up here. Logan, I'll pull it up for you. But if you look at the pace. Curse chart. If you look at the pace of the increase in consumer credit, uh, the slope of the increase seems to be much steeper than the last run up between 2016 and it's just straight up. Twenty, yeah, right, yeah. And so I'm thinking of the same chart. Yeah, the one on the left. Yeah, so you can see <laughs> it's, it's a brutal chart. Crashed in 2020, and now it's going back up. But if you look at the slope of the run up from 2016 to 2020, that's it's steeper. It's not as steep as what's been happening over the last one and a half years. Uh, and then you juxtapose that with the next chart. Just hit. Right, Logan, which is the savings that's, rate. It's significantly steeper. Yes. Um, so the savings rate at the same time. So consumer credit, people are taking out more credit card debt uh, and overextending themselves. And this it's is that and mortgages, right? Does consumer credit, does that include mortgages? I'm not sure. I don't know for sure. It freaks in the comments. It's just credit know. cards? I think it might just be credit cards. but Because you have to imagine the majority of debt is mortgages, right? Because that's substantial, and like, does it include student loans? Does it include? It's at one point two trillion. Um, I mean, if you think about our in. peers, right? Like, what's the majority of their debt? The majority of their debt student loans, and then they have credit card debt sprinkled on top. And then, if you think about like our parents' generation, the majority of their debt is mortgages, and then they have, and like vehicle loans, and then they have. Um, credit card debt sprinkled on top. If any of the freaks know, let us know if, if consumer credit includes student debt and or mortgages. I'm trying to see how the Fed defines this on St. Louis Fred page. They don't really have a good definition. Revolving consumer credit owned and securitized. Yeah, who knows? It's just a lot more debt. Um, and then you juxtaposed it with this chart, which is the uh, percentage of savings uh, compared to overall disposable income. And that is sitting at 2.7% as of October of 2022, the end of Q, uh, Q3 2022. This is the second lowest that the savings rate has ever been in the history of the Fed collecting this data, which started in 1947. The lowest was 2.4% in 2005, right before the housing crisis. Um, and you have to imagine that this is probably lower than 2.7% right now, considering Q4 had the holiday season, so people were definitely out trying to buy presents and other things, take advantage of sales, um, and they likely dipped into their savings for that, so I would imagine it's lower than 2.7%. This right doesn't now. include sets, right? No, it does not include sets. So, like, my savings are also probably that low. 
<laughs> Mine. I mean, I, Mine Bitcoin adoption well. hasn't hit the point yet, right? Where it has a material that really factors this. into this chart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, comparing these two charts or combining these two charts, you have the American consumer going into an insane amount of debt while interest rates are rising. I think the average credit card rate is approaching 20%, which is the highest it's been since the mid 80s. Uh, and then they don't have any money saved up uh, along that. So going into more debt, taking on more up. monthly payments at a higher rate, and they don't have a nest egg to dig into to pay that off. And on top of that, inflation, whether it be food, energy, still relatively elevated. Yes, the pace of the increase has decreased to around 6.5% most recently, but that is still very high inflation, and you have to factor in that that 6.5% print, uh, that most recent print, is building on a higher base that was set last year. Um, so, so how do we feel? Like obviously, on the surface, like it's not great for people to be in debt. Um, it's not great for people to be in debt and not have savings. Um, obviously, I'm not. I've always been very anti-debt. Like I don't think people should take debt out to buy Bitcoin. Um, I just think it's risky. It puts you in a risky situation in volatile times. I will never encourage people to put themselves in debt. But in a in a hyperinflation but... scenario, in a hyperinflation scenario, you'd rather be in fiat denominated debt and have very little savings that are fiat denominated, right? Yeah, I mean, that... that's not what these people are doing. No, right? These are this is just a this is pointing to people in very bad situation right that are that are struggling to get by is is really the the real takeaway here but if you were in a hyperinflation scenario you'd want to have low fiat denominated savings and you want to take advantage of the debt that is getting hyperinflated away right yes and if you're doing that again we don't recommend it but the strategy would be to make sure that you have enough income enough revenues coming in cash flow pay, stats flow yeah you want to make sure cash flow is up if you have one cash flow stream, probably not a wise decision. If you have two, three, four, five, it's probably de-risked a bit. Um, it's definitely a risky situation, though. Yeah, because regardless, if you pull up, yeah, but I mean, especially like with Bitcoin, if you pull up like the gold price during Weimar Republic and how volatile that was, um, like you could—that's where we're at right now. Yeah, you could find yourself in a scenario where. Uh, copy the image of the Slack right now. Where, By the yeah, way, freaks. Over the, I welcome all of your facial fa uh, facial hair recommendations, and uh, fortunately, facial hair grows very quickly. So maybe I will try some of them out. Yes. And so, like, if you do this credit strategy where you go into debt to buy Bitcoin, and you're thinking, "Oh, Bitcoin's only going to go up if I ever get in trouble with the debt. I'll just pay it off, sell some Bitcoin." Uh, we could find ourselves in a situation like this over the net, over the coming years where Bitcoin prices as volatile as the gold price was in the Weimar Republic. Uh, it's a pretty insane chart. Yeah, um, where people like were holding gold in hyperinflation Germany and they were directionally correct, but they got wrecked along the way. Yes. So that could happen with Bitcoin too. Probably likely. And they happen. sold the bottom for fucking garbage fiat yeah. because they needed to pay their bills. Yeah. So increase your cash flows. The number of sats flow revenue and sats flow obviously number of revenue producing endeavors that you have 
to Marty, if your yourself. unit account's Bitcoin, everything's sats flow. It doesn't matter what shitcoin they pay you in. This is true. Hey, we have a sats flow in the chart. A sats flow LOL in the chat. I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was KV's name for a second. Um yeah, so be aware. Uh American consumer, extremely stretched thin right now, high amount of credit, low amount of savings. So that was one that's one indicator I'm looking at that points that we may be in a recession. The Mandibles. Consumer is extremely stretched thin. The other, which I have on the list, is tech layoffs. Um, they've been increasing at a rapid pace. I put the tweet in Slack. If you pull up the chart. Oh, no, I did not put it. That's on me, Logan. But uh, there's a really cool website, layoffs.fyi, um, if you want to check that out. And just to Great keep, domain. Keep track of this. Uh, it's got a it, some tech entrepreneur who's keeping track of the tech layoffs he in got, real time. He got fired and launched a new product. Yeah, and this is the product, the layoffs. Um, so if you don't want to wait for the BLS official unemployment numbers, I mean, this is only the tech sector. It doesn't include the broader economy, but I thought this was a pretty telling chart. As you can see, in 2022, tech layoffs started to increase uh, with a crescendo in Q4. Um, and I just went to highlight that we're only 18 days into Q1, or we were yesterday, uh, and the tech sector saw, has seen 37,019 layoffs, uh, which is already around 50% of the total layoffs that happened in Q4. So in 18 days, we're already almost 50% of the way to what took three months to happen in Q4 2022. Um, so this is another trend to keep track of. I, I, I would see the tech layoffs this quarter far surpassing Q4. Um, Holy shit. This website is amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. So they have a list of layoffs by date. So just, just go to the just website. Over, layoffs at FYI. I'm going to do, do the last three days. The last three days of layoffs. WeWork laid off 300 people. Microsoft laid, out, laid off 10,000 people. Sophos laid off 450. Teladoc laid off 300. 8 by 8 laid off 155. Benevity laid off 137. Jump Cloud 100. Encino 100. Starry 100. Hootsuite 70. Adapar 20. Lightspeed 300. Unity 284. British Volt 206. Clutch 150. Exotel 142. Unico 110. I'm only two days in. Yeah. So actually, go up to crazy. the top. Go up to the top here, Logan, and toggle. So like right now, there's been more than a thousand, like almost two thousand more layoffs since yesterday. Uh, toggle up to 2022. So we're at thirty-eight thousand eight hundred fifteen. All of 22, there was one hundred and fifty-four thousand eight hundred forty-three layoffs in the tech sector. So we're already twenty uh, percent uh, of the way toward the total tech layoffs that happened in 2022. And we're only nineteen days into the year which is mandibles, I guess. I'll just say, I haven't read the book, but I'll just say it. Uh, damn it. Mandibles. <laughs> you uh, can't rug me like that, Marty. I just rugged you. Yeah. I would, uh, I would this is it... literally the mandibles section of the show. I love it. <laughs> and they're all Marty stories. Um, yeah. And I, I, this may be the biggest you were telling me before it's, we hit record. Yeah. Or no, you said it. No, you didn't. You said before we hit record. I said on RHR a couple episodes ago. Yeah, but the last thing I have on the list uh, is comments from a oh, representative yeah. from Saudi Arabia. 
yesterday. Right, before we or, get to that, what I said a couple of weeks ago in RHR is that what scares me about the recession is that most of my peers that are not Bitcoiners from like college and high school when I was home for Christmas were like, oh, like there's been no layoffs at my company. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Send them to layoffs.fyi. Gradually, then suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. The suddenly part seems to be upon us. Um, last topic of the rip coming up on two hours here. Uh, Mohammed Al Jadan um, from Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure what his official title is, but he's a representative of Saudi Arabia and he made some comments uh, at the World Economic Forum to Bloomberg a couple of days ago that highlight that the world seems to be moving away from the petrodollar reserve system. We talked about it about a month ago. Uh, President Xi from China went to Saudi Arabia to meet with the GCC and um, the, the Saudi oil tycoons and basically negotiated a deal or verbally, hey, we're going to begin buying more oil from you guys. But when we do that, we want to settle these these trades in Yuan. We've set up this Forex exchange in China that will allow us to facilitate and and pay you guys out in Yuan. Saudi Arabia seemed to give them a nod, like, yes, we're willing to do that. And it seems like the floodgates are open now. Uh, Al Jadan said on Tuesday that uh, they're not only willing to make this type of deal for China, but if other countries want to settle in Euro, Real, or uh, other types of currencies, they're open to do that as well. So this is something... I've been covering at the Bent since September of 2017, early days of the Bent. China came out uh, then and basically just expressed that they would like to one day settle oil contracts in Yuan. Uh, people sort of poo-pooed that for many years, say, ah, oh, it will never happen, it will never happen. And it seems like uh, things are accelerating there. It's going to happen, and this is probably being forced the issue is probably being forced by the sanctions that were levied on russia earlier this year which really highlighted that the u.s is weaponizing the dollar and the petrodollar system particularly and if you're an outsider looking at that like china you're going to say hey i don't want to depend on having to access oil via the u.s dollar system and so the infrastructure to acquire oil via other currencies is currently being set up and i think <coughs> it's safe to say that uh, maybe the coffin isn't nailed shut yet, but uh, the nails are being aligned, the hammers being cocked back, and the petrodollar may be dead by the end of the year. Well, when we look back on in the history books, when our kids look back in the history books of the petrodollar dying, like that chapter has already started. Yeah. And Marty, that's it's really impressive. You've been writing about this since 2017, but uh, Lionel Shriver wrote about wrote a book about this. I think in 2015, I think it was called The Mandibles. <laughs> I've never heard of that one. <laughs> do they have audiobooks? They do have an audiobook. I actually showed the audiobook to Adam back. She was uh she was only a year ahead of me, 2016. Okay. Oh, 2016, sorry. I just had a I had to like Kanye West you. <laughs> Ugh. Chaotic out there. We have Bitcoin. You can you can decide to sit there and think that the mandibles is gonna play out and you have there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe true, but there is something you can do about it, which is there's no Bitcoin failed in the mandibles, so she got that part wrong. Yes, Bitcoin's not going to fail. We're not going to let it fail. It's individuals, like 
Matt, myself, any of you freaks listening to this, it is an open system. You can build tools. You can build your, your digital citadel with Bitcoin. You can support the network by running a node, plugging in some miners, teaching people how to use Bitcoin. Uh, it, there's many ways to participate to make sure that the Bitcoin network succeeds. Moving forward, yes, things seem pretty hairy out there, but Bitcoin gives me an extreme amount of hope. And that's why, I mean, I feel like I'm beating at that horse now, but this is why we dedicate our lives to it. That, that poor horse. Education and tools freaks. That's how we win. Yes. Should we end it there? Works for me. Stay humble, stack sets. Peace and love freaks. <laughs>